Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua 1, please? I hope you've been enjoying the last couple of months when we've been going through the book of Joshua. Um, We really felt, um, as a leadership team, that God had much to say to us about where we're at as a body of people, what God is doing through us, and his plans for us. And lots of that is mirrored in the experiences of God's people um, that are recorded in this book for us. Um, I'm just going to read a few verses, and, uh, and then I just want to say a few things. So if you turn to chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 1, and it says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving you to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. And um, as I said, I hope over the last couple of months you've enjoyed spending time in this book. It's a fantastic book. It's action-packed. And um, one of the things that always rings in my ears whenever I'm reading this kind of stuff in the Old Testament is what Paul the Apostle said to us in the New Testament. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, look, all of these things that were recorded, all of these things, first thing is they actually happened. They're not parables. They happened to real people like you and me. They happened as examples to them because God was working in their everyday lives to create a narrative of redemption for us upon whom, he says, the fullness of the ages has come. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And it said that they were written down for our instruction. So everything that's in here that we read is not just a story, it's not a parable, it happened to real people, it happened for a reason, and it also was recorded for the instruction of you and me. In other words, we need what's in here to be able to live our lives in accordance with the way God wants us to live and to be able to lay hold of the things that he's called us to do as his people. Just as these people were given a mandate and were given things to do, we as God's people have also been given things to do. So it's really important for us. And the key verse I want to focus on is in verse 3 where God says to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So God made a promise to Joshua. It was a promise he'd already made to Moses, and it was a promise to his people that everywhere that they would tread, that God had already given them that place. And then God is very specific in outlining the territory that he is assigning to the Israelites. Now, we all know, if we've been in the book of Joshua, that that land was occupied. There were other people there that regarded it as their territory. But God had decreed it would belong to his people. And so the measure of success for Joshua and for the people is quite simple. God has told you that this is all the land that he's given you, so what you need to do is go out and take it. You need to take all of it. And if you go, I am with you, God says later on in in this narrative, I am with you, 
you need not be fearful, but instead be strong and courageous, because if I'm with you, then nothing can, and no man can stand against you. So that was a promise to God's people. And you know what? It's the same promise to us. God has promised that wherever we go, he will be with us in power, and that is why we will be successful. Not because we have clever strategies, not because we have sparkling personalities, although we do have plenty in this room, but because the Spirit of God is with us in power, therefore we will have success. But success is conditional upon a few things. And we've looked at this in looking at the book of Joshua. In the first message I did in May, I looked at the way that God instructed Joshua to instruct the people not to turn, to deviate from the instructions that he'd given them. That success would only come if they followed him clearly and specifically in the way that he told them to go. But you know, there are some principles here. And what I'd like to do today is very much a kind of a looking back over the whole book of Joshua Because I'd like to pull out some principles for us in how Israel was successful, or in some cases unsuccessful, in laying hold of all the territory that God had promised to her, promised to the nation. What's interesting to me in reading through this is that God has set boundaries that we've just read, geographical boundaries for his people. And we talk about boundaries a lot in this house because boundaries that God sets are good things. They keep us safe. But you know, we often think about boundaries as limits. Places that we can't go beyond. And you know, when I've been thinking about this recently, I thought, actually, these were boundaries he wanted his people to fill. This was an area that he wanted them to expand and fill to the edges. So boundaries aren't just no-go areas. They're not a restriction, but actually... They're setting the capacity of where God wants us to go. And boundaries are a good thing. They're not just limits, but boundaries can be visionary as well. They're visionary because it says, this is where I want you to go. This is the vision I'm laying down. This is the territory I have given you. Now go out and get it. Reach those boundaries. And God has spoken to us a lot in the last few years, a lot in the last six months, in the change that's happened amongst us and the recognition of this as an apostolic sphere about our territory and about where God wants us to go to take the gospel that we carry. And we've said many, many times that that is not something for the few in this house. It's not something for a small elite group of leaders, but it's something for the whole body to embrace and to be an integral part of. And that's why we keep saying and we'll keep encouraging every member of this body to step up and expand as an individual in this body to the fullness of the potential that God has put in you. And only when that happens will we as a whole, as a group of people, as a body, as a church, as a flock, will we lay hold of all the things that God has spoken over us. So that's why it's really important that we all respond together and that we are of one heart, and one mind in all of this. So I'm going to pull out some, a couple of things really. The first thing I want to talk about is the boundaries of potential. And I've got ten principles. Don't worry, they're quick. Don't get worried at this point. I've got ten principles that I can see through the book of Joshua in the things that happened to them. And then I want to talk very just briefly about the boundaries of protection, about the ways in which God, we see how staying within God's boundaries of protection 
makes a massive difference to whether we lay hold of all that God's got for us. So, this is a whistle-stop tour of the book of Joshua. So I hope you've read it and you're familiar with it. So the first thing is this. This is the first principle, that God has sent us into our land, even if it looks like the enemy's turf. God has sent us into our land, even if it looks like the enemy's territory. So in chapter 1, God said, and we've just read this, everywhere the sole of your foot will tread, he says, I have given you. In other words, I've gone ahead of you, and I've said, this is yours. When your foot sets foot, and that piece of land, I've already given it to you. And God is sending us outward from this place. He's sending us into places that will seem hostile, that will seem closed, that will seem alien. But he's sending us not into places that don't belong to us. And this is where I think we have to have a change in our mindset. Because when we think about evangelism and when we think about mission, we kind of think about going into enemy territory, don't we? And in some respects, we kind of are. But in most respects, we're going into lands that God has already given us. God will speak to us specifically through the prophetic about where he is sending us. And when we go to that place, we need to go confident that God has already given us that place. And you know what? It makes a massive difference in our mindset, in the spirit with which we go to a place, a spirit with which we carry the gospel to that place. Whatever it looks like, if God has said go there, it's ours. And that's what we need to remember above all things. Second thing is this. God will send us across natural barriers or borders. So in chapter, two, in chapter 3, this is detailing when the uh, Israelites had to cross the River Jordan. And again, God gives really clear instructions about how they were to do this. But this was a natural barrier for them to get all of the people safely across this river. But God enabled them to do it by holding up the river. And the key thing is that he sent the ark ahead of them. So they carried the ark of the covenant. He gave them instructions to send them the ark. And he said, the ark is going to go ahead of you because you've not been this way before. And God was sending his presence ahead of his people so that the waters could be held back and all of the people could cross a natural barrier. And I believe that there are lots of natural barriers around us that can easily hold us back from sharing the gospel that we have. I think there are barriers of social class, economic distinction, racial class, social groupings. There are lots of different areas where I feel we would discount ourselves of being able to reach out to people in any given situation. And it's easy to look around in in any situation you find yourself and say, maybe that's not the sort of person that I can reach out to. But you know what? God is sending us across natural barriers. You say, well, okay, how do I cross a natural barrier? You need to see into the spiritual realms. You see, if we just look with natural eyes at every situation that God sends us into, we'll always see natural barriers. We'll always see things in the natural. But what we need to do is ask God to open our eyes to see into the spiritual realms. Let me just explain what that means, because it can kind of sound quite ethereal and all up there a bit, doesn't it? The spiritual realms are all around us. There are things going on around us in the spiritual realm 
that you cannot see with your physical eyes. But you can see with your spirit. You can see with what the Bible calls the eyes of your heart. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to show us what is happening in the spiritual realms wherever we are. It's not limited to a time when we're together with God's people, maybe on a Sunday morning, and we start to see things in the spiritual realms. It can happen in your workplace. It can happen in the place you go to college. It can happen in the place where you go every day, maybe the shop that you frequent, maybe the gym that you go to, that you can see people that in the natural you wouldn't talk to, you wouldn't try to reach out to, but the Spirit will show you something that's going on for them inside. And because of that, God will say, now's the right time to speak to them. We've had Arna Scargan with us on a number of occasions. And Arna is so good at encouraging us to listen out for harvest language. And it's hearing the heart of people who don't don't yet know him. But the Spirit of God is working on them. And the Spirit of God is drawing them. And our part is to be there ready at the right moment to hear the harvest language, to see what's happening, and then to put one foot in front of the other and to be brave and say, I'm going to cross this natural barrier. And the key for us, I'm convinced, is the presence of God. In those situations, if you're fearful, if you're worried about what will happen, if you're worried that you'll be rejected or maybe that you'll end up looking stupid, And we've all had those doubts and fears at times. Put your confidence in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit will change the atmosphere in a room in a second. So that's the second thing. God will send us across natural barriers. And we need to be prepared to do that, folks. And to be obedient to him. Third thing is this. God's instructions will usually have a faith gap. When we get to chapter 6, we all know the story of Jericho, don't we? This great walled city, God sends his people and says, okay, I want you to march around it and gives them very specific instructions. And at the end of those instructions, the walls are just going to come down. That had never happened before, anywhere. As far as I'm aware, it's never happened since either. It was a completely unique thing. I think sometimes God's going to give us instructions that will hold no obvious means of victory. That God's going to ask us to do things that are perhaps new, maybe a little unusual. And we're going to have to step out in faith and believe that he's telling us these things. There's going to be a faith gap, folks. To be able to reach the boundaries, we're not going to be able to stay with the familiar, with the well-practiced and well-rehearsed methods that we have. You know why? Because the Spirit of God wants to show us new ways of doing things. You see, principles will stay the same, but methods have to change because methods require differently in different situations. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, can show us new ways of doing things that will reach new places and new people. And I want to encourage you to seek God for that. I want to encourage you to ask the Spirit of God to help you innovate in the way that you are reaching out to the world around you. And to help us as a body innovate and to find new anointed ways of reaching out 
things that we've not done before. And you know, if you feel God is speaking to you about things like that, and you think, that sounds a little bit off the wall. Well, guess what? You can come and ask us. You won't be laughed out the room. I promise. If you feel God speaking to you, we'll hear you. Share it with those around you. Because I believe God wants to change things and the way that we do things. And God's got things for us to do that we've not thought of yet. Okay, number four. God-given victory usually comes out of consecration. Now, this is something we see repeatedly in the book of Joshua, repeatedly in the Word. In chapter 3, we just talked about how the people of Israel crossed the Jordan. And Joshua says to them the night before, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow we cross the Jordan. Chapter 5, before they take Jericho, they circumcise all the generation of young that had not been circumcised in the wilderness. And then they marked the Passover, and they consecrated themselves before the great victory that came in the Battle of Jericho. Chapter 7, we find the incident of Achan and his sin. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But what happened was that that had to be dealt with before God would give them victory over Ai, in the Battle of Ai. So again, there was a dealing with sin and there was a consecration before God would give a victory to his people. There's a clear principle here, folks. Because if you look at the history of God's redeemed people, there is no major move forward of God's kingdom that happens without prior sanctification, without prior consecration of his people. If you look at the history of revivals, there is a history of prayer that precedes every single one, of God's people consecrating themselves before the Lord, of ridding themselves of all distractions and all sin to be pure and holy and blameless before God. And that's really important for us. Consecration is not a one-off thing. It's a constant thing. And we need to be in that place where we're completely consecrated before the Lord in order that he can use us for great victory for his kingdom. Number five. God will sometimes lead us into situations where only the miraculous will see us have success. So we see this in chapter 10. Um, in the battle against the Amorite kings, the battle's going well, but the sun's setting. And Joshua has to pray and said, God, I know this is crazy. This is the paraphrase version. I know this is crazy, but if you could just stop the sun from setting, we could make this victory complete. And the word says that that's what happened. It's miraculous. Something that couldn't happen in the natural. But I'm convinced that in order for us to expand and to take the territory that God has told us he wants to go to, he's going to lead us into situations where we're going to face the impossible, folks. Who's ready for that? You have to think carefully about it, don't you? Not things that are probable or things that are likely or even possible, but things that are impossible. I believe God wants to do miracles in the midst of us. This is what happened in the early church. Miracles happened. 
They happened because they needed to happen for the kingdom of God to advance. And my question to us is, what has changed? Nothing at all. In order for the kingdom of God to advance from this place, miracles are going to be necessary. I believe we need to have an expectation of miracles in this place. I believe we need to have a hunger to see miracles happen in this place. And I believe we need to have a willingness to participate in those miracles. You see, it's possible to get a bit of faith together to look at someone else to say, I reckon they might be able to do it. (laughs) And I'll stand with you in it when it happens. But you know, the Spirit of God distributes the gifts as he wills. There's nothing in the word that tells me that it has to be this person or that person. That's up to him. It seems to me that when I read the word, he seems to use the willing to do it. The person that says, I'm here, use me, Lord. So that seems to be, for me, the only thing that stops it happening through me is when I'm not ready and I'm not willing or I'm waiting for someone else and then I'll stand with them. Now, folks, I'm not saying that every single person in this room is going to do a miracle in the next week. But what I am saying is is that we as a body of people need to make a decision as a body of people that we want to see miracles happen in this place, that we're going to pray for it, we're going to be determined and unsatisfied until we see it. That miracles are not an add-on and they're not a nice-to-have, but they are a necessity in order for us to take the territory that God has already said we are to take. If God led his people in this time into those positions where miracles were the only way to see the victory, then he will do it through us and in us as well. So I want to encourage everyone in this house to be praying for miracles, that we see an atmosphere in this house that is ripe for miracles. That when we face the impossible, we don't shrink back, but we say, ah, this is the opportunity we've been waiting for. Because now we have to see a miracle. As soon as we say we're willing, we're ready. And when we're ready, God will lead us into those situations. It's really high stakes stuff, but it's really exciting. And it's going to blow our socks off. And I just want to encourage every single one of us. Let's be of one heart and one mind in our determination to see the miracles of God in this house. And see the transformation of our nation. Number six. God's people are never too old to be overcomers. Can I get an amen? Amen. Good. Never too old. Chapter 14. We find Caleb. Who loves Caleb? He's a great guy, isn't he? Caleb was 85 at this point. So he was 40 when he was sent to spy out the land. He came back with Joshua with the report that they could take the land. And of course, if you know the Bible, you know that then the people of Israel went through 40 years in the wilderness. God brought them back to Canaan and said, right, now you're ready to go in. Because that generation of unbelief had died out. Joshua and Caleb remained amongst them. Caleb was 40 when they started uh, that incursion into Canaanite territory. And this is now five years later. He's 85. Sorry, he was 80 when, when they began that. He's now 85 years old. 
and they've taken most of the territory, and they're now starting to allot things. And Caleb said, I would like to have this piece of land here. So it's called Hebron. But previously it had been called Kiriath Arba, which means city of Arba. And it was a place held by the Anakim. Arba was one of the, um, uh, the, the conquerors, if you like, that conquered that city. Previously, it's believed that it was called Hebron, but then it was renamed Kiriath Arba. Now, this was no ordinary group of people. The Anakim were reputed to be giants. Like uh, Goliath was a descendant of the giants. Do you remember King Og, who had the 13-foot bed? King Og of Bashan, who had the 13-foot bed? There were tribes around that the Bible says were giants, that they were leftovers from a previous race of giants. We don't know how big they were, but the point is this, is that Caleb came at 85 and said, okay, I'd like that place over there with the really big guys in the fortified cities. I'd like to go and take that. Now, I've heard people say, because Caleb says at this point, I'm the same as I was when I was the 40-year-old. Still, I've still got the same vigor and energy for war. I'm the same as coming out and going in, he says. And I don't know whether Caleb was as fast, as strong, or whether he was talking maybe about his spirit was undimmed. And in certain, in certain respects, it doesn't matter to me. What matters is the spirit of the man. That 85, he had not set himself up in a retirement home. Because when I read the Bible, I can't find any retirement homes, homes for God's sakes. I can't even find the concept of retirement. And that's what I do for a living. I'm a retirement planner. <laughs> it's not biblical. But people retire from work, but they don't retire from God's kingdom. And I just want to encourage everybody in this house, and I'm not talking to the older people in the house. I'm talking to the middle-aged people. I'm talking to people who are in their early 30s because you can get to any stage and age of life and feel that you've plateaued. Or feel that maybe you've done enough now or you've achieved enough or that you've grown enough and you're just going to stay as you are. But there is no concept of that for God's people. None at all. We need to be ever increasingly and expanding in our effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. We need to be ever expanding and increasing in our effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Right. And you say, yeah, but as I get older, I'm less able to do some of the things I was able to do. I understand that. But that's no restriction. Not for God's people. Age is no boundary. God being able to use you, he will not be restricted by your body. Whatever your state of health is, God can use you powerfully in the kingdom. The key thing is, where is your heart? Is your heart being led by your body? Is your heart being led by your age group and your peer group? Or is your heart full of passion and fervor for the kingdom of God? Because God wants a people who of every age in his house are as passionate as each other. That we don't look at young people in the house and say, isn't it wonderful? They're so passionate, the young people of God. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear young people looking at the old people and saying, isn't it amazing 
that they're at that age and they're undimmed and that the passion of God is ever stronger in them. I want to be like that when I'm older. That's what we want to see in this house. So I want to encourage you, and I appreciate that age brings challenges in health. Totally appreciate that. But you know what? Your spirit isn't aging. It's being renewed day by day. It's being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's full of the power of the Spirit of God that called the whole universe into being. And at this very moment, is holding it all together. That power is resided within you. Now, you can't for a second tell me that that means your body's going to restrict you. Because it shouldn't. So let age be no boundary. Number seven. God demands action over argument. Action over argument. We find in chapter 17 that the tribes of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two half-tribes, that they start to make excuses to Joshua for having not taken the territory that was allotted to them. Now, it's true that it wasn't an easy territory to take. But they made excuses to Joshua, saying, we can't go down into the plains there because the, the, the people that are there have chariots of iron. And Joshua says to them, his reply is, he didn't ignore the fact that they were facing a strong enemy. But he said, yeah, they do have chariots of iron, but you know what, you're strong and you're numerous and you'll overcome them. And his confidence for saying that was because God had already given them that territory. It didn't matter if there were chariots of iron, chariots of steel or chariots of anything else. Because God had already given them the territory. He was pushing back because they were just making excuses. And unfortunately, one of the things that we love to do as God's people is when God says to do something, and we really don't fancy doing it, we come up with lots of really legitimate sounding arguments why we're not doing it right now. Maybe we're in a waiting period, or I'm in a period of preparation, Lord. Or I need to go to the Word and find where that is. And, And you know what? God is just saying, would you just get on with it? God is eminently pragmatic. There's nobody more pragmatic than God. And sometimes he gets fed up with hearing our waffle. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but I think it's true. And I put my hand up as someone who's just waffled before the Lord for hours. The stuff he's put up with from me. In his graciousness, he didn't give me a slap. But he's saying, enough argument. Enough argument, Chris. It's time for action. If you want to reach the boundaries that God has set you personally, don't argue with God. Get on with what he's told you to do. Number eight. God's plans have no room for giving up and moving on. Chapter 19. The tribe of Dan had taken the territory that God had given them. But then they lost that territory. The Canaanites came and took it back from them. So what did the people of Dan do? They headed up north and took somewhere else. They went north and took Leshem and renamed that Dan. And the tragedy was is that God had given them this piece of land, not that piece of land. And I believe God's going to send us places where we may make some initial incursions but the enemy's going to push back. And the temptation will be, 
let's just give up on that and let's move on to the next place. If God has specifically told us to go somewhere, we cannot have the option of giving up and moving on to the next place because it got too hard for us. You know, a number of months ago, Andrew shared with us about sometimes the battle goes back and forth. Sometimes we suffer setbacks and we think, is God really in this? But you know what? That's when the people of God have to dig in and have to go back to the counsel of the Lord and said, you said we would do this, Lord. So we're going to do it. Number nine. God's promise is never the problem. Chapter 21. There's a, a kind of a strange statement in here, really. In verse 43. It says, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies withstood them, for the Lord had given them, given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed or came to pass. It's a strange verse because actually when we keep reading, we find that there were pockets that they hadn't fully purged of the enemy, of the Canaanites. I believe this is in here because there was nothing wrong with the promise that God had made. God kept his side of his promise. It was God's people who had not done everything that he told them to do. When we seem to fail in things, when God's promises we're not seeing come to fruition yet. The enemy will always want to say to you, as he always ever has, did God really say that? This is the interlude, by the way, when the music comes in. (laughs) Did God really say that? That's the moment he wants us to doubt that God has really said that, that God has really sent us there. You know what, folks? God's promise was never the problem. There's always an adjustment required within. When that happens, don't condemn yourself. Don't condemn others. When our faith falls short, that's not time for self-condemnation. It's just the time to press into God and let our faith grow stronger as we overcome in those circumstances. Number 10. God's plans are not for the faint of heart. Boy, do we know that. God's plans are not for the faint of heart. Chapter 24, um, Rich spoke from this a few weeks ago, which is right towards the end of the book. And Joshua is um, talking to the people and he makes a covenant with them. And he's kind of preparing the groundwork really for him to go because he knows his time is drawing to an end. And like any lead, he wants to prepare the people to go on without him. But before he dies, he challenges each one of the people. And he says this in chapter 24, uh, verse 14. It says, uh, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And then he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He knew 
that all that God had told them to do was not for the faint of heart. That there would be occasions, and many of them, when it would be easy just to give up and go home. But they were going to need sincerity and faithfulness. Sincerity is a purity of heart. It's it's wholeheartedness. If you're in the kingdom of God, you need to be in the kingdom of God. Your heart needs to be totally his. Because if it's not, when things get tough, you're in the worst of both places. Because actually, you're wanting to get out and you're not fully seeing God's faithfulness in things. And we need faithfulness. We need steadfastness. Paul says to the Galatians, if you remain faithful, don't give up. And in due season, you will reap the harvest. All that God has said, if you don't give up, you'll see it come to pass. And that's a principle for us in exploring the boundaries that God's got for us. So there's sort of 10 principles, if you like, which I I hope will help us in the days ahead that will equip us in all that God's got for us, because God has amazing things ahead of us. But folks, we're going to need to be ready to take on those things. And these are really essential principles that God has chosen to write down for our instruction. And I just want to give you four things which are illustrating the protection that God's boundaries bring for us as well. Number one is this. Don't stray outside the boundaries of God's plumb line. So in chapter 1, God warns Joshua and says, look, don't turn to the right or to the left. The plumb line is the word of God. Folks, we need to be so careful that we don't turn to the right or to the left of this. The reason why we labor again and again, the exhortation to every single person in this house to be in the word, And if you struggle to get in the word, to come and find a friend who can help you in that is because the word needs to be in our heart so that our actions and our decisions on a daily basis draw their instincts from the word that is dwelling in us, as Paul says to the Colossians, richly. And that's a key thing for us. We mustn't stray outside of the boundaries of God's plumb line. A plumb line is something that you hang with a weight on the end that will always give you the true and straight line, perpendicular line. You can't bend a plumb line to fit something else because it stops being a plumb line at that point. And you can't bend the word to fit something that you may want to do that's stepping outside of God's plan for your life. And that's why we have to bring the plumb line into everything. And my heart is for every single person in this body to be strong in the word, to have the word dwelling in you richly, to keep us where God wants us to be. Second thing is this, don't become tunnel visioned with your own turf. So we find again in chapter one, right at the beginning, um, the Transjordan tribes, so those were those that settled on the east side of the Jordan, before they crossed the Jordan, um, that was Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, were there to help the other tribes secure their inheritance. So Joshua says to them, you've got your inheritance allotted to you, but now the, the fighting men need to come with us over the Jordan to help us get the rest of the territory. And once you've done that, 
you can go back to your land and you can settle there. I think some of us would be very tempted to say, that's okay. You've got plenty of people with you. The Lord's with you. You don't need me. But you know what? They did need them. That's why God said they should go. And I think it's easy to get wrapped up in your own life, in everything that's happening for you, and the things that you know that God has involved you in, and not to involve yourself in the lives of others. But there's a key principle which I have learned, which is this. If you want to see God's fullness in your life, if you want to lay hold of everything that God's got for you to do, you will need to help others lay hold of what God has got for them. If you don't, you will never lay hold of everything that God's got for you. In fact, in the act of enabling others in their calling, you will find the fullness of your calling and you will find fulfillment. And that needs to be how this house is exemplary. That across this body, each member is helping other members and is focused and given to serving everybody else to help them be all that God wants them to be. You know, folks, sometimes I think if that's what we focused on, all of the stuff that seems quite big in our lives would just shrink in a moment. Introspection generally is quite unhelpful. Now, I'm not saying ignore your life. What I'm saying is make your priority enabling others. Like Paul says to the Philippians, treat others as if they're more worthy of honour. They're not, but treat them as if they are. Lay your life down for others to say... I want to enable everybody else in this house. So, Spirit of God, show me how I can do that. And it will transform this body. So let's not get tunnel visioned on our own turf, but let's help the let's listen to the Spirit of God to direct and guide us where we can lay our lives down and serve one another in their calling. Number three, don't get distracted with the devoted things. So we find early on that. Um, when we get to Jericho, that God gives really specific instructions and he says, look, when you go into the city, ransack the city, burn the city to the ground, it's devoted to destruction. It's going. The silver and the gold will be devoted to the treasury of the Lord. Take those things and they will be repurposed for the treasury of the Lord. And Achan's problem was that he went in and he got distracted by both those things. He saw the cloak the shiny cloak, which was devoted to destruction. It was a Babylonian cloak full of symbols of Babylon. And he wanted that. And then underneath that, he saw the silver and the gold that was supposed to be devoted to the treasury. And he took all of them and hid them under his tent. And of course, we know what happens after that. But devoted things, whether they are devoted to the Lord, and that can be something like the tithe, which is devoted to the Lord, or whether they're things that are devoted to destruction and have no place in our lives, both of those things can become a distraction to us. And we can start to covet things, which is what happened to Achan, that are out of bounds. And when that happens, it sets us on a path to destruction, essentially, to destructive behavior. So be careful that you don't get distracted with devoted things. Number four, this is the last one. 
Don't always expect the enemy to come at you head on. Chapter 9. Remember the Gibeonites? Those sneaky Gibeonites. So they were fearful that they were next on the list. So they thought, what we'll do is we'll rock up and we'll pretend we've come from a really faraway land and create some fake stuff, provisions and worn-out wineskins and that sort of thing, and we'll claim we're from the far land. We're actually just from next door, but we're not going to tell them that. And get Israel to make a covenant with us so they can't attack us. And you know where the people of God went wrong? It says, this is in um, chapter 9 and verse 14, it says, they did not consult the Lord. Folks, we are living in an age where the enemy will not always come at you head on. Sometimes the enemy will come at you proposing as your friend. Now, I'm not getting into specifics with that because it can mean lots of things. But I just want to say this. It's easy to get distracted with things that at first seem quite helpful to us. And what we need to be is staying close to the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice day by day to say, Lord, is this thing helpful in my life? Is that thing helpful in my life? You see, Paul the Apostle said, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And some things can seem quite harmless, but actually they end up being an enemy to us because they keep us from God's best for our lives. So we need to be careful and we need to be mindful that the enemy does not always come at us head on. Sometimes he's pretty subtle in the way that he tries to lead us away. So there you go. There's principles there for the boundaries of potential that God has for us. There's so much in the book of Joshua, isn't there? And praise God, it's been written down for our instruction to help us to stay on track. And there are also boundaries of protection so that we don't get off course and that we stay on where God wants us to be. He wants to lead us into pastures green every single day. So we need to be listening for the shepherd's voice. And these principles will help us to do that. Would you just bow your heads for a minute? I'd like to pray. Lord, I want to thank you. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for everything that you did with the people of Israel, Lord. I thank you that you preserved this record for us, your people, Lord. Because you want us to be successful, because you want us to expand and take hold of all that you've called us to do. Lord, as we consider how Israel set, set out to take hold of the territory you gave them, Lord, we want to learn and be instructed. And I pray, Lord, in the days ahead that every member of this flock will grow and expand outwards to reach the boundaries of our potential, Lord. And Lord, also that your rod and your staff will help us to remain faithfully within the boundaries of your protection, that you would watch over this house, Lord. Lord, we want to be those who come home one day to that welcome sound of welcome home, good and faithful servant from your lips, Lord. But there is much to do. Lord, we're so excited about all the things that you said you're going to do. And Lord, in our hearts, we are rising to the challenge and we pray, Lord God, that in the days ahead, you would lead us into new things as we've read about in your word and we've set in our hearts to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.